everyone. For today, I'm actually discussing Lucy Moran, and I'm actually going to hand the mic over to Lady K of Wisteria Lodge so she can introduce herself further. Hello! Hi, my name is Lady K. I am the lead vocalist for the band Wisteria Lodge, and we are a Pacific Northwest original dream pop band who just so happens to be heavily inspired by Twin Peaks. You don't have to like Twin Peaks to like us, but it certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> so I guess the first part of the stuff, if we're going chronological order, is Lucy's scene the missing pieces. And the thing is that I think this scene's kind of important because... We'll touch up on it more with Season 3, but it really establishes that there's some about technology that's a real barrier for Lucy. Because we get that yeah. scene where Sheriff Truman, when he's about to leave for the night to presumably go see Josie, she's shocked because he's no longer on the radio. When he leaves, Andy hears she's in distress. Andy runs up, and then they have that moment where they run at each other and they scare each other. Yeah. I do really <laughs> like this scene. I will say, though, is that as much as I do like the scene, as much as I love Kimmy Robertson in it, I'm kind of glad it didn't make it into the movie because I feel like where everything's at with Laura in, in Firewalk With Me, it would have been too much of a tonal whiplash. But did you have any thoughts on anything about this scene or a big takeaway with Lucy? Um, I really do like the way that she she's not dumb, but she really thinks differently than anybody else in the entire series. She's a little slower to understand technology, and I don't know if that's just saying something about the energy in the air, you know, how, like, wired telephones, she can she can understand that. It's the, you know, it's the, the brown phone with the, with the blinking light next to the, next to the chair with the lamp. She's very specific about everything, and I think that something that technologically advanced is just a little beyond her in the way that she can think specifically so i love that she's just set in her ways as far as older technology especially like when you said in the in the third season when she gets freaked out by the cell phones she's like but i thought you were in the mountains it's like but i can't ah it's fine <laughs> I, i'm glad you brought that up with lucy is that she's not dumb she's thorough i think even kimmy robertson said that in the early 90s i think most twin peaks fans are pretty good about knowing that but you do get a lot of people say like oh she's not that dumb and i was like oh well she's not dumb at all yeah i think that in the case of lucy there's something about like when you work that type of job because i work as a ministry assistant and you need to be a very distinct person to stay on top of everything and you look at it and you know that, well, I mean, obviously Andy has, uh, has a relationship with her, but Harry, he definitely has a distinct respect for her. And like, you know, he wouldn't just hand that off to anyone. Oh, right. No, I think she's the absolute linchpin of that entire sheriff station. I mean, besides like people, the switchboard operator or whatever, when they expand in the return, but she's the first line of defense for everything. She is always listening to everything she was typing mike and bobby's conversation as she was as she was listening and she doesn't miss anything at all she's she's the eyes and ears of that place and she's very thorough she might not understand everything about everything but the important stuff she really hones in on yeah. to kind of reaffirm that i actually was looking through the secret history before this recording and I wrote down that her favorite book is Stephen King's The Stand, which is actually his longest book by far. I will concede I've never read it, but it is at least the second largest book on that shelf behind Cooper with, I think it's the JFK Commission Report. 
Oh God, no, I I never realized that. That's a really cool in piece of information. Funny story. I've never read that either, but the miniseries scared the bejesus out of me when it came out. I was probably too young to watch it, but scared the crap out of me. Before I get too far off track, I guess the next thing I'll point out is that in the secret history, Lucy is actually included on that shelf of like the bookhouse boys' favorite books. And it's because she actually buys all of the books for the book house. And the thing is that, you know, it's like pretty much just like a guy inclusive sort of thing. But again, it shows that at least Harry Truman, he does trust Lucy to one, if she's a part of the book house boys in that capacity, but also the fact that she can help with this secret society in general as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, working for the sheriff station as long as she did, there's going to be that familial responsibility and just the kinship between them. You definitely don't see that in the later series with Chad and the other guy. They just give them shit all the time. Whereas, you know, I'm not here, I'm on my lunch. They don't give Lucy shit for eating somewhere that's not the lunchroom. But Chad is a completely different person because he's not on the level like Lucy is, you know, and I think yeah, it's the it's the trust and the and the loyalty that they have seen and have been shown throughout the years. This one's actually a bit of a side story. I believe it was Harry Goas. He said it in an interview with Blue Rose is that I think Kimmy Robson built a whole story over uh, Andy's watch because uh, she always had this thing where as a joke where apparently she kind of took it as like since Andy was always a deputy for that whole 25 years and then she was a receptionist that whole time. That she had this whole side thing of like, oh yeah, they just run a Vegas, they have this wild life, they know how to like take risks, they know how to. And she just built this whole story about this side thing that um, Andy and Lucy do on weekends just based off of the watch. So I absolutely love the fact that she could do that with anything with the characterization with one item. Well, that would actually, that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on because that I hadn't heard that, but that makes a lot of sense in whether their child, whether Wally is really Andy's kid or Dick's kid, because we always kind of say, you know, like Andy's kind of goofy, he's nerdy dude. And, you know, Dick kind of would have been a more fashionable man about town kind of thing so hearing that in that they would go to vegas did you say going to vegas and like being wild and shit or i think it was vegas it was more of like high stake poker games and high stakes gambling of sorts okay well maybe not one-eyed jacks but i mean maybe somewhere else iliani casino or something uh somewhere else in washington yeah i think that makes sense and that gives andy just another depth of danger I guess, or at least some sort of wild quality about him rather than just being the, the goofy, <laughs> the goofy deputy that we all love. We could probably talk about uh, her relationship with Andy, at least through the lens of season one at first, because I absolutely love one. I just love her scenes in the pilot in general that uh, I forgot which screening. I think it was some for either the producers, writers or directors. But the first time they screened the pilot, it was a scene with a phone ring early on. And apparently, like, that group, that test screen loved it so much, they cheered for her the second time she came on the screen. <laughs> I, yeah, there's something about the way Kimmy Robinson plays that character that just feels, I don't know, like no one else could possibly play that role. Yeah, I absolutely have to agree. She is perfect for it. She's the perfect amount of perky and stern that you need to be as a receptionist. I have been a receptionist in a lot of different places for various amounts of years. 
I like that she doesn't have a phone voice. Her phone voice is her regular voice. I usually go up a couple of octaves when I'm when I'm on the phone with somebody, especially in a business perspective. But she is always just she is the ultimate sweetness. I think that uh, I have that in my notes here. Lucy is the ultimate sweetness. She's the niceness and the kindness that just permeates throughout the the sheriff station. This is actually probably her most serious scene, at least in the first season, is the part where when Harry calls when he's outside the train and he's clearly devastated about what happened to Laura, he's like, tell Harry I didn't cry. And I, I guess this is one of those scenes where I could see people think it's kind of funny, but I always thought it was like a very, I, I don't know, I always took it very seriously. And the way Lucy comforts him, it really does say something about that relationship about the two of them. Yeah. And regrettably, I mean, the first time I watched it, I, I laughed at him and I was like, oh, who is this guy? He shouldn't be doing police work. And then you see it more and it's just like, oh, he really does care so deeply for these people. He really should be a police officer. <laughs> it's like that's how our cause should be. And I just I love how she's just so understanding of him. And she's like, don't worry, I I, I wouldn't tell him. Yeah, the, I guess for a lot of the relationship for the rest of that season, she's very distant and he doesn't like quite understand why. She doesn't say anything, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I don't think anyone would really predict that for the season one finale that she's pregnant and uh, that there'd be that huge role reversal where he has like this great night taking down Jacques Renault and then she says, I'm pregnant. And it's like the best subtle comedy because she's very stern and he's very blindsided by it. And yeah. there, again, there's some about like, even when the two, when Harry Goas and Kimmy Robson, when their chemistry has to like turn, they still have that endearing nature to them. Yeah, they just have such good on-screen chemistry and they have good chemistry off-screen too. Just seeing them hanging out together, doing whatever they're doing, whether it's like during cons or whether they're hanging out just like personally or whatever. I think that's really a testament to how it translates on screen too, is that they're good friends and they're beyond good actors. They are great friends too. Since we're on the topic of the pregnancy with Lucy, this is where we kind of have to talk about Dick Tremaine a little bit more at length. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I feel like that that, that kind of says enough right there. But oh no, I, I'm happy to talk about that Dick. I mean, he's uh, he, his name is very apropos. When Ian Buchanan when he first got the role, I forgot what commercial he was filming, but he, he filmed a commercial with David Lynch. And David was like, "Yeah, you make a great Dick." And he just, that's all, that's the only context that he had. I, I forgot how Ian Buchanan said exactly, but he, I think he had a, I guess that's a good thing type of, type of reaction. I mean, coming from David Lynch, I mean, if he's, if he's calling me good at anything, I guess it's, that's a good thing, right? But yeah, no, the thing is that for Lucy though, I just asked myself, like, what could she possibly have seen in Dick Tremaine to, to have him be the alternative? Fashion. You know, there is something to be said about a man who or a person who takes good care of themselves and really takes pride in their appearance. But there is also the extreme, which is what I think Dick Tremaine is, is he's the extreme opposite of Andy. He doesn't care about how other people see him other than Dick Tremaine men's fashion. Yes, I'm a I'm a snooty little bitch and I, I wear nice suits and wear pretty perfume. Whereas Andy doesn't care if you see him cry and he doesn't care about getting dirty, getting his hands dirty, doing police work. I just I think it's a great change up for her, I guess. She's she has the sweet and and goofy Andy and then it's like ooh I've got a fancy somewhat dickish dick and it's just it's something different 
Yeah, because I remember there was that scene where uh, Cooper, he asks her about it. There was that infamous out-of-context YouTube video where it's like the best line <laughs> Twin Peaks, and it's like, so are you seeing this, dick? And then it just cuts to Kami Robertson with this awkward interaction. But I feel like <laughs> I feel like that really sums up who Dick Tremaine really is, though, because it's like you were saying before, he does take care of himself and with how he dresses. And also she says something about how Dick Tremaine exercises while Andy doesn't. And on the yeah. surface, that's actually a pretty good case, but... I just think there's something about how, and by the way, I love Ian Buchanan's performance. It's meant to be hated. Yeah, it's like, it's well, it's really hard to play a character who's designed to be unlikable. So I think Ian Buchanan does a great job, but there's just something about the aura that he has because when he goes to the sheriff station to, I think that's like, it, it basically is to pick her up on a date before he realizes she's pregnant. It's just no one likes him. Hawk clearly has never seen him for before that. And you don't really get a sense he's interacting with anyone else at the sheriff's station. So yeah. I'm just like, I was like, man, like, how did Lucy land this guy, like, on the side? I mean, I guess anything could happen outside of work. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm sure she was, she was out shopping or something. Maybe she was looking for something for Andy or something, you know, looking for something to make him look nice or whatever. And that's maybe where he kind of picked her up from there and was just like, all right, well, let's, let's try and see where this goes. That's actually a really good point because uh, I think of, like, that scene before she tells him that she's pregnant where they're at the uh, double R and uh, mm. it's just like, she couldn't make it any more obvious how unenthused she is by his she's banter. Bored. Yeah. He's yeah. talking about like every little thing about his job. Yes. I like to, I like to file them by S for socks, A for Argyle and W for wool. And it's just like, nobody cares. Dick. <laughs> and, and he goes off about stuff about like the scanning procedures he goes with. She drops her yeah. fork as a means to like try to change things up to see if he'll have like the tiniest bit of gentlemanly nature to him. And he talks about anything until she says she's pregnant. And then it just, it's the only time that he stops. Well, that's definitely a conversation stopper for some people. <laughs> Since we're on the topic of uh, Lucy with the pregnancy, I wrote down some about Gwen, where I kind of look at Gwen, her sister, and I there's always this like this moment of just secondhand embarrassment where I almost forget about this character until she reemerges in season two, and it's just like it's just that person where when you bring someone you didn't you weren't originally supposed to go with like out in public, and they say something really uncomfortable. That's like Gwen through and through. It's almost like a bizarro world version of like Lucy, basically, where she oh, has a yeah. similar enough demeanor, but it has it lacks a lot of that charm. A little, yeah, a little twisted where Lucy is sweet. <laughs> the tact. She's missing the tact. That's what she's missing. We do get that scene where Andy, he clearly doesn't understand how pregnancy works because I think he sees... <laughs> He at least sees the baby with him, and he passes out thinking that Lucy already had this child. Oh. <laughs> I guess the reason why I'm bringing this up is that, at least with Lucy, out of her, Andy, and Dick Tremaine, she was probably the one who was most ready for parenthood in any capacity. And I Oh, absolutely. I, the big reason I mention this, and I know that a lot of people don't like this arc, but the fact that she's basically removed from the Devil Little Nikki subplot kind of just shows that she kind of knew how Nikki was and never thought that there was like some devil inside of him. Because you yeah. get this whole thing of like Andy and Dick where it's the only time they put their differences aside where Dick kind of instills this idea that this this child is possessed by the devil or is the <laughs> devil. And and so they go off on this whole tirade. And I guess where, where I stand on that is that as bad as that subplot is, Ian Buchanan and Harry Goas, they do a really great job. And they, they're actually a lot of fun in that role. 
But I like yeah. how it, if it going with the in character aspect that Lucy, she's the one that calls like, this is ridiculous. Do you really think this child would actually do these sort of things? And uh, they start crying at the realization that like they basically were hampering on this like kid who lost his parents at a young age. But yeah, no, I love the fact that Lucy, she she just immediately just can see right through it. Yeah, no, and that's part of her charm is that she sees things differently than everybody else and she can see through people's bullshit. The main core part I have for uh, season two left is that there's a scene where the Miss Twin Peaks contest and mm -hmm. uh, I all I could think of is that every because I actually didn't even think about it the first time or even my first rewatch. But the, every time I go back to that scene, I was like, wow, Lucy's doing a lot of dancing for someone who's pregnant. I mean, I know it's probably like, what, maybe a couple months in, but at the same time. I was uh, going to say, yeah, it's uh, I mean, I've seen plenty of people who uh, have done lots of crazier acrobatics much further along. But I'm sure that it was it was nice to be able to see Lucy show off some other talents other than just being a great receptionist and like a, a, a great friend. And it was nice to see her throw her, her hat in the ring. And I think this was in the essential wrapped in plastic, but I could have sworn that uh, Kimmy Robson talked about it where she could see that Lynch and Frost, I think they were on set together at that point. And they both kind of had this like, oh, Kimmy, come here. And they had this like distinct grin of like how they want that scene to go. And they're like as as like as absurd as this is, I think you'd be great to do like uh, to showcase your your talents like in the Miss Twin Peaks contest. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean Kimmy is a professional dancer. I think in some capacity. So I just I think that's great for them to be able to to show that off. This is probably a good transition from the original series going to season three, since she does figure out who the father is, uh, or at least who she chooses to be the father. I think everyone could see that she was going to pick Andy, like, no matter what. To kind of, like, ease into season three, I always think that every time I see Wally Brando, I was like, that is definitely the child of Dick Tremaine. It's definitely some Dick Tremaine energy there, and that's what I've always thought until you said his watch and them going off on these high-stakes games and stuff. That's the only thing that would make me rethink that is that, like, if they really are that crazy going out and gambling and having fun on the weekends when they're not at the station. Otherwise, it would it really would just be pretentious Andy being raised and nurtured by Kimmy, I mean, sorry, by Lucy and Andy. Whenever I see the Wally Brando scene, because I just don't like the character at all, I think if I, <laughs> I believe it was Rosie from the Diane podcast, she actually talked about that scene where she said that this is the first time where the season three stares you dead in the face and asks, how serious are you really willing to take this? Yeah, no, exactly, because he he's just so deadpan, and sometimes my shadow's in front of me. Sometimes behind, except on cloudy days. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's, uh, I, I, and I love, uh, Sheriff Truman's response too is just, yep. I know that there's some people that see it differently, but I definitely see the internal screaming on Frank Truman's part because he's trying to hamper down on everything with the sheriff station. He's taking care of his wife at home. It's cold outside. He doesn't want to deal with this, like, 20 something just talking about like his like how the his dharma is how the road, road. yeah <laughs> so but the thing and i was actually thinking about this earlier is that ian buchanan at least on twin peaks unwrapped he actually talked about how early on apparently dick tremaine was in the script early on for season three and i remember thinking i was like oh that's kind of surprising i don't think that dick tremaine would really fit in with the tone of season three 
but I feel like it would have been maybe not outside the sheriff station, but there would have been something with him and Wally Brando. Or like maybe at the double R or something or at the roadhouse or something at the very least. I think that there would have been something to kind of muddy the waters on the whole Wally Brando situation. That's the only thing I could think of why Dick Tremaine would kind of factor into Lucy's life at that point. Yeah, that's that's the only thing I could see too. The other scene that I have, her very first scene in season three, am I the only one that feels this low-key intensity from her in that scene? Because it's the first time we see her as a receptionist, and I forget what the guy comes in. I think it was... I don't know if it was insurance, but... He's selling insurance. And it, yeah, it could make a difference. It's like, which Sheriff Truman are you looking for? And that's this is her being very literal and very specific about everything. It's like, okay, we've got two Sheriff Trumans here. Like, what are they... Dustin and I have conversations about this scene. Like, every time we watch it, it's like, what are they really trying to say here? I think for me, the reason why this scene gets more intense each time, it's right before we get the introduction of Mr. C. So I think there's something about talking to Trumans that just makes that hard cut into that. Okay. Yeah, it's like there's two Coopers. It's like, well, which Cooper? It could make a difference. <laughs> there's something about Kimmy Robson's delivery where she seems a little extra serious. There's just like a very stillness and a seriousness in her eyes when she says it. The next scene that I have is that when Hawk, when he starts going off on his odyssey, if you will, trying to figure out everything that Marga's trying to tell him, and she mm -hmm. has that moment where she shrieks and she realizes she eats what she ate one of the chocolate bunnies when she was pregnant. I that bunny. Of all the things I come back to, I don't know why, but she keeps on insisting about it. She's like, uh, the log lady said something about your heritage. Do Indians have anything to do with chocolate? With and bunnies? Do bunnies have anything to do with your heritage? No. And he has a very distinct <laughs> insistence. He's like, it's not about the bunny. About the bunny. And then there's a moment of silence. Is it about the bunny? Is it about the bunny? <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> no, about the bunny. No, 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 it can't be. It can't be. It's a red herring, so to speak. That's a scene that I also love because, well, one, it definitely shows the characterization of, like, all of them, like, perfectly on display. But I do come back to the bunny thing because I don't think too many people could have thought too much about the chocolate bunnies from the pilot. So I, I don't know, maybe you're right, maybe it really is just a red herring. But I don't know, like, there's something about that scene that's, like, too memorable for me. Oh, no, it's, it's hilarious that... It's her excuse for needing to eat the chocolate, and it's just the her questioning Hawk about the chocolate, and she's like, "Are you sure it's not about the bunny?" And it's just that's it's one of my favorite scenes too. We were mentioning Chad a little bit earlier. Actually, uh, I guess the another scene to kind of add to is that I think of the scene the pilot where she kind of figures out that Mike and Bobby that that's when they're going to go and they're they're talking about like trying to take down uh, with the letter J. She's very perceptive and she knows how to make sure she gets that down and like kind of have have them undermine her. But I also think the reason why I bring that up is that that scene with Chad when he walks up and it's like about as transparent as a window that he's going to do something oh my God. really with the mail. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that maybe apart from Reagan on Frank Truman's dead son, this is probably like the most egregious scene with them because they're just like, yeah. it's like, oh, wow, this guy really is just a complete scumbag. Uh, just a, a complete piece of crap. Yeah, absolutely. Lucy, like she can see right through him even before that. I don't know if she necessarily writes anything down for when he commits his federal crime, but she definitely picks up that there's something wrong with Chad. Yeah, she she definitely makes a mental note of that and uh, is just like, well, I don't I don't trust that guy. He's not very nice to begin with. Why is he trying to do something nice now? Her uh, stumbling across that is what it springboards that whole thing of 
when they finally arrest Chad, she kind of can basically confirm that, yeah, this guy was doing something really sketchy. Yeah, and I mean, and even if that's like the only thing that they could get him for, I mean, that's still a federal offense is tampering with the mail, so... <laughs> we were mentioning a little bit with the missing pieces. This is a big thing for Lucy throughout season three. Because we get that scene where Frank Truman, he comes in with his phone and he just like shows it prominently to her. Like it's almost like a, it's not the first time that this has happened. It's like we were saying before throughout the original series that Lucy's not dumb. She's very perceptive. So where I come from with her and just being unsure how this works... I think there's something about definitely how electricity is central to Lynch's filmography and Twin Peaks. And also, I even think of like how uh, Lynch always has these iconic phone scenes as well, where it's like, yeah. uh, I mean, you can name like pretty much any movie that he's done. And there's like a scene with someone holding a phone and there's something pretty central to the story during that point. So I yeah. think there's something about the fact that it's not that she's, again, not that she's dumb, but there's something just distinct that she has yet to tap into. Yeah, or some some sort of technological connection that she hasn't quite made between, yes, there are corded phones, but we have the technology for cordless phones now, and then just being able to go anywhere. It's also, it could just be like a, a testament to the time jump too. It's like if 25 years have passed, but like it, it doesn't feel like it because we went from one one series to the next so quickly, you know, even if we can just do it minutes from between each other, you know, if that makes sense. And then it's like a second later, it's 25 years later. Holy shit, I don't know how mobile phones work. It's like that would be a great shock to somebody too. There's actually some that I talked about with Joel Bacco somewhat recently is that we were talking about the themes of, I guess, basically confinement in season three. But I feel like with Lucy, that also fits with her as well. And not that every scene is behind the receptionist desk, but that's primarily where we see her across like the missing pieces in all three seasons. So you think of like there's the extra 25 years on top of that. There's just this whole like, you know, the world is changing. That's my big takeaway is that there's something about the vague connection of electricity and just her being stuck in the same set spot for a period of time. The best thing I can say about, well, definitely her, Andy, Hawk, and the Truman brothers is that where they can still be true to themselves. And then meanwhile, you have... Well, to be fair, the sheriff's department's still pretty good. It's really just Chad, I think, that makes it look bad. But there's something yeah. about the way that Lucy can, like, still have that sincerity to her purity uh, at that point. Barring, again, we're barring Dick Tremaine from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody has to have some dick in their life at some point or another. And that's just, uh, that's just the way life goes, you know? It makes you, it makes you, the dick helps you make the Andes shine that much more, you know? It's like I was saying before that they're not dumb. They just have a way that they tap into the world that other people just seem they like they can't. And probably why yeah. they're a really good match for each other. But I guess like with that, I do think of how in part 17 when Mr. C finds himself outside the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. And you see Andy and Lucy, they're just ecstatic to see Mr. C. It's because they are the epitome of goodness and sweetness and loyalty. And they're just like, oh, we're so excited to see you. And he's like, oh. Jesus, what is this? <laughs> he has never experienced such true goodness before. The thing is that Mr. C, like, he's... I, I mean, it's not like a Mark Zuckerberg thing. He's not, like, that, like, obviously weird about it. Like, he does say, like, hello, Lucy, he has a smile. But I think the thing that's interesting is that despite the fact that Frank Truman has never seen him before, 
he just knows something's off. I think you might be right with the whole, there's that distinct purity and goodness that they have, where it's just like, just the thought of seeing their friend for the first time after 25 years, where they're not going to really look at him for his appearance. They're not going to like, they're just going to be like, oh my God, it's Cooper. It's, it's, it's Cooper. We're just so glad that you're here. Before we really get back to Lucy, when Frank Truman, he sits down with Mr. C, he's like, Cooper? And then there's a moment in silence that says Cooper. And there's something about the way he raised his hand says in the flesh. I'm like, ugh. Like, I don't know. Uh. This, guy's real, this guy's really creepy. Like, Kyle did an incredible job of just making Mr. C, even the most innocuous stuff, just like extraordinarily creepy unsettling. Creepy and dark. Yeah, no, the dark contacts that they used in his eyes and everything too to make them darker and bigger. It's just, it took, it literally took like the light out of his eyes that took that shine out of his eyes and it's just he did such an amazing job playing all three of those characters you know being Dougie and Mr. C and Cooper when he got to be Cooper I can't say enough about about that either it's just it's incredible and this is something that I was thinking about recently it was actually one of the guys from Counter Esperanto brought this up when the actual Dale Cooper calls and says Lucy I'm in a Twin Peaks is the coffee on and he has that very original series Dale Cooper demeanor and it yep. suddenly hits her, she's like, oh, that's not Dale Cooper in the other room. You feel a serious intensity and a serious responsibility on her part of like, how do I get this to Frank Truman? And how do I make right. sure he absolutely picks up the phone for this? Yes. And I think I think that is a testament to how smart she is and how willing to believe she is as well. She's like, well, this isn't normal, but I know that this is right, so I have to do what I can to save the day. And this is the part where it could probably just like uh, move away from Lucy for a bit. But uh, one of the guys from Connor Esperanto brought up about how that sign, and it's like how identical that sign is after 25 years. It comes down to the idea that is this something where it's like Cooper's dream state starting to like at least kick in? Because that sign is immaculate. Like you look at uh, like season yeah. three throughout, like up until that point, and like you just kind of like the first time you watch, like, oh, okay, I guess 25 years is a long time. But that sign is pretty well preserved okay. compared from 1992 to 2017. Yeah. And again, it might just be a testament to the to the dream state that he's in. Like it's some of those details wouldn't be filled in because we're so concerned about how the people would change, not necessarily how the landscape would change. We were saying before about how much it takes to be able to get Frank Truman to take a call in that most pressing moment. But Frank Truman, he definitely knows that there's something wrong. But the thing is that Lucy's the first one to pull a gun on Mr. C. And that's the thing that completely changes literally everything from part 17 hour. And whether people think it's a dream state or something just generally unexplainable, it's still very telling that even if she was kind of positioned by Andy initially, she definitely picked up on something completely independent of Andy. She figured out at the right moment, if she was a second later, everything in that scene would have changed. You know, I think her obsession with invitation to love and her attention to detail, the doppelgangers, the twins and everything else, she could kind of take that knowledge of the, the soap opera-ness of it and kind of apply it to her own life and be like, okay, I've, I've trained all these years for this. I've watched Invitation to Love for so many years. I'm ready. <laughs> I think, I think that's, uh, <laughs> I think that's a big part of how she maybe either found the strength or was able to, to realize that something was really afoot. You know, that's a really good way to tie into Invitation to Love because I remember that was one where 
it was definitely a thing that was central to season. I was going to say season one, too. We were just watching one of the earlier episodes and it was before they did Laura's autopsy or something. And Harry's like, all right, Lucy, what's going on? And she had just been watching Invitation to Love and she just recounts Invitation to Love. And she's like, no, no, Lucy, with the case, what's what's going on? And then she's like, oh, well, OK, yeah, yeah, sure. But I think that kind of helps her bridge that gap between the soap opera that we're watching and the soap opera that she's watching too. I guess the last scene explicitly with Lucy, she shoots Mr. C and she says, I get how phones work now. And it's like this really <laughs> endearing moment, but it makes you think is that not that she doesn't understand phones, but it makes me wonder if there's more to it than that, because it's definitely a funny payoff from Kimmy Robertson, but there's yeah. something about her grasp. Cause it's like we were saying before is that, Andy and Lucy, they're not dumb. They just tap into the world in a different way. In a different but, way. But I do wonder, did you ever have any thoughts on if there's more to the I get how phones work now line? You know, I have always wondered what exactly it was that snapped in her or like really clicked for her that was just like, oh, okay, I get how phones work now. And it could have something to do with like the doppelgangers. But I'm not I'm not really sure. Having being able to you're not really in two places at once because it's traveling through the air or something. I don't I don't know. I always wondered what what it was that clicked in her brain that was just like, okay, I finally I finally get it now. And it might have something to do with getting that call from Cooper, knowing that the other Cooper was in the other room. It's like, uh, uh. but I, I can't quite make that connection for her. <laughs> Maybe this might not have anything to tie into it, but I do think that with season three, I forget which part it is. She has that thing where I think she's talking to either Andy or Frank Truman, but she talks about the thermostat, about who's there to turn on or off when they're not there. What happens when nobody's there? And it's like, and that was one of the, the last notes that I have is her questioning the unobserved universe. It's like... I even asked the guy and he doesn't know what to tell me. And it's that's not her being dumb. She's really trying to understand well, what happens when you close the fridge. Does the light go off? <laughs> Strange enough, a really good way to kind of like wind down on the character because she just thinks of these things that we kind of think are like really obvious. But then you think about it, it's like, I don't know, maybe there's something else that she's talking about, or maybe there's something that we're not looking into. She's looking for a deeper understanding for the world that's around us that may seem mundane and boring to us, but is maybe something of a bigger picture somewhere else. This might seem like a really obvious observation, but one of the things I'm thinking about if we're going with season three in particular is I think about how different Lucy is from Ben Horn's character. You have these two people where they're confined behind a desk for a large part of their arc. But the thing is that Ben Horn, there's all these crazy things going on, whether it's like the sound in Beverly Page's office or Sylvia Horn talking about like Richard Horn assaulting her, Frank Truman coming to uh, talk about more about Richard Horn. There's all these things going on with Ben Horn. He's just too busy plugging away with everything the Great Northern. But on the other end, you get Lucy, where she seems to have all these observations that are going on, where she asks like every question, she tries to make every observation. I think that's why with the, it's not about the bunny, it makes me think as like, maybe there really is something about the bunny, because usually when she brings something up, there's at it least something worth something. checking out. Yeah, but I mean, at least the bunny was something that 
helped them look deeper into other things and they were able to you know he's like i gotta take a break and that's when they actually he went to the bathroom he found the the missing page and stuff so it all leads to something but it also might have just been a cute little comedic break <laughs> yeah that's one where i think uh I, I, in all honesty lynch is probably the only one that could ever know that for sure and i know that we'll oh, never get an answer yeah. from that and that's and that's fine i uh i like coming up with our own theories behind it or you know again just to like having it funny for for funny's sake you know fart jokes can be funny <laughs> yeah i guess for me it's like I, i'm at that point where it's like with twin peaks where i would just be more disappointed if lynch or frost actually confirmed something well yeah it's it's all it's all about the mystery. It's just like the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer. If you force somebody to answer these questions, like you might not like the answer. Why not just have your own interpretation? That's what all great art is, is it's subjective and it's supposed to make you feel something. And that's the thing is that uh, Lucy kind of almost alongside the audience, she does that great thing where she can raise more questions than answers, but like the best way possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that, I mean, uh, uh, like I was saying before, is that no one else could have played that role other than Kimmy Robertson. But I think there's something about the way that she asks all these like extra thorough questions that really adds to the appeal of her and how she goes through everything. Not that there's an objectivity to how she does it, but there's just some about she adds that air of mystery, even though she's still in that realm of being like comedic relief in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lot of that childlike innocence, I think, and just genuine curiosity and wanting to understand how the things that are going on around her are actually working. Uh, actually, the one, last thing I will say is my final thoughts is that there is a period, and while this has changed over time, there is a period where I took the idea of the access guide to the town where Lucy was handed to basically by the Chamber of Commerce to make this book about like, hey, introduce people to Twin Peaks. And my, mm -hmm. I had this idea in my head that Lucy just like churned this out like overnight and then just handed back in like haphazardly. <laughs> Because uh, I always thought of like I was like, who would cobble all this together? Like, who in Twin Peaks would have to cobble all this stuff together? And uh, oh, Lucy sure. was the one that came up like the most in terms of characters we've seen. And it's it seems like she would know the scuttlebutt about just about anybody that's anybody working at the sheriff's station. You know, in one of the pages of the access guide, they talk about the passion play that the Bookhouse Boys do. I was like, oh well, who would possibly know this, or who would just kind of put it out there? I was like, I don't know, maybe Lucy. Lucy, yeah, I can see her being, especially if she's like a bookhouse girl, you know, being like the stage mom or something, helping them put that together, putting the costumes together or whatever. That's a really good point. She's probably the one that makes that, uh, like, gets, like, all the stuff lined up for the uh, passion play. I mean, no, she's like, she gets all the books for the bookhouse boys. She gets the donuts every night. She gets a lot taken care of for definitely the share station. And I think of the scene in mid-season two when she takes her leave. And she has that moment, she's like, look, are you sure things are going to be all right? And Harry's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. And... It's it's fine. It's probably because she's never taken a day off before. I can relate for that. But like, she's just like, she hasn't gotten here yet. And I really need to make sure that this is all going to be okay. It's like her home away from home. And of course, nothing is okay while she's gone. It's like, a, yeah, we got a temp or we got a new hire. <laughs> uh, and it's like, that's like a thing that goes on until she returns. So she really is the glue that holds everything together for the sheriff's station. I guess with that, was there anything you want to plug for Wisteria Lodge or anything that uh, you want to bring up about like what you all have lined up uh, coming up? 
Oh, sure. Well, uh, beyond uh, playing around here in our hometown for New Year's Eve, we are going to be uh, joining the official Steeplejack reunion next year in North Bend uh, for their Twin Peaks celebration. So we're really excited for that. Um, we should know more about tickets and stuff uh, for the performances as it gets closer. Uh, but we'll be playing two two-hour dinner sets at the Double R Diner, and then there's going to be a private screening of Fire Walk With Me at Hatton somewhere. And then we're going to Hap's Diner for like the after party. We'll be uh, performing there as well. So we're really excited to be asked by North Bend to uh, to participate. And around that same time, we'll be playing in Seattle too. So if you can't make it up to uh, North Bend for the Steeplejack reunion, the next, the following Saturday or the next day, we'll be in uh, Seattle playing uh, another show. Yeah, I'll be there for Steeplejack as well. So that's going to be my first time seeing Wisteria Lodge perform live. So I'm. Hell so yeah, I'm, we are so excited. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to being able to be there and actually at, at Half's Diner as well. Like, that's, I feel like that's like, assuming that's where it's going to be, that's a really good venue to have this all. Yeah, no, uh, like I said, it's going to be split between a couple of different places with the Double R having two dinner sets, like. Uh, in the afternoon and evening then they'll be showing Fire Walk with me I forget exactly what theater they're going to be playing that at and then going to Hap's Diner for uh, like kind of like an after party and secondary uh, secondary sit. Yeah no I guess that uh, that wraps everything up. Thank you Lady Kate for coming on Thank you very much for having me Love talking about Twin Peaks and love being able to, uh, to talk to you Straight.